is my great pleasure to introduce tonight's moderator, Mr. Bruce Fessier. Bruce Fessier is arts, entertainment, and special projects writer at the Desert Sun. And he's not a stranger to tonight's discussion. He also co-founded the Desert Theater League, served on Sonny Bono's founding Palm Springs International Film Festival Committee, formed the Jazz Celebrity Golf and Jam Session fundraiser along with his wife, and worked to launch Toshiva. Toshiva, <laughs> a Palm Springs block party. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Bruce Fessier. Thank you. Well, it really is a privilege to be here. I've been out at Coachella all weekend, and coming to this beautiful facility, really, it's beautiful out there, and coming from there to here is like going from Yosemite to Sequoia National Park. I mean, they're both so equally beautiful. Um, I, I've been with the Desert Sun for an awful long time, and for the last, I'd say, 10 years or so, I'd say that my beat is covering festivals. And I don't know how many other newspapers around the country have a festival beat reporter, <laughs> but that's because we have so many festivals here, music festivals, art festivals, film festivals, you know, every type of festival you can imagine, we have it here. And so I'm often thinking about, you know, why do we have so many of these festivals? What, is, what, is, what do we have to gain from that? So I'm very excited to have this, these panelists here who can explain that to me. <laughs> so let me introduce them, uh, if I could, first. Uh, I don't have these in, in, well, yes, I do. Lisa, to my immediate right, Lisa Vossler-Smith is the executive director of Modernism Week. That's Palm Springs' annual celebration of mid-century uh, architecture and design. She previously worked in administration and operations at the Palm Springs Art Museum and has volunteered at a lot of different things, art festivals, and uh, she comes from a family uh, that uh, has just been such a, a, a part of the infrastructure of the Coachella Valley. You, a lot of you may know Judy Vossler. So uh, the Vossler family here, Ernie Vossler, uh, just an integral part of the Coachella Valley, so I'm very pleased to let's give her a, a warm welcome. Then to her right, we have uh, Mayor Lupe Ramos-Watson, uh, the mayor of, of Indio, a native of Indio, has served on this city, city's council since 2004. Uh, she also serves on the Indio Redevelopment Agency and is a member of the Indio Chamber of Commerce and the Coachella Valley Mexican-American Chamber of Commerce. And she has been very uh, actively supporting Coachella and helping to make Indio the city of festivals. So let's give her a warm, warm welcome. To her right is a gentleman I just met, Steve Appleford. He's a native of Los Angeles. Uh, he's written about music and pop culture for two decades at the Los Angeles Times, Rolling Stone, and elsewhere. And like myself, he's covered every Coachella since 1999. So... <laughs> and then finally, on the far right is Irene N. Rodriguez. She's the Director of Education at the Palm Springs Art Museum. Uh, she's worked to make arts more accessible by partnering with various community organizations. Also, she's the secretary for the Museum Educators of Southern California, so a warm welcome for her. And to, to start this off, let me just tell you a little bit about um, what 
what I do from January to June. <laughs> these, are, these are the festivals that we... Well, there are 15 major festivals that, that the Desert Sun covers, and, and I'm actively involved in covering those. Starting, on, starting next year, it's going to be starting on, on January 1st, um, or actually December 31st, the Palm Springs International Film Festival. Then we have the Rancho Mirage Writers Festival, the Southwest Arts Festival, the Indian Wells Art Festival, Modernism Week. We have Native Fest, which is a, another film festival with art, the Rhythm, Wine, and Brews Experience, the La Quinta Arts Festival, the American Documentary Film Festival, the Palm Springs Women's Jazz Festival, which was just moved, thank God. <laughs> They're going to have that in the, in the, in the fall now. Uh, then we have, of course, a little thing called Coachella, uh, followed by Stagecoach. Then we have... Right after Stagecoach, we go into the Lexus Jazz Festival at Indian Wells Tennis Garden, followed by the Arthur Lyons Film Noir Festival. And finally, we have about a, a month break before we do the Palm Springs International Short Fest. So let me start by asking, do we have too many film, too many festivals in this, in this valley? Um, I mean, I'm not even counting some of the little festivals we have, like the Greek festival, the, the Armenian festival. We have a festival every weekend here. So let me start with you, uh, Lisa. Can there be too many festivals in a community? Bruce, I'm a festival planner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I grew up here. I'm also a local girl. I went to Indio High School. I'm, I'm thrilled to see the growth and diversity in, in our festival schedule. And, you know, we, we were talking a little bit earlier that we, we cram a year's worth of activity into, you know, a four to six month time period. And I, I really feel terrific that there is something for everyone in our valley, not just because it's the most beautiful place in the country, but because we have such a, a rich array of offerings. And in, in my case, with Modernism Week, we have an incredible architectural heritage to celebrate. So, no, bring it on. <laughs> Anybody else? Can, can festivals compete with one another and, and actually be a detraction? Is there anybody else who wants to uh, tackle that? I don't think it's a distraction. It gives you different perspectives for this community. You know, you're talking about the community from Palm Springs all the way to Coachella and Mecca and all the snowboards. So it gives you sort of a taste of what culture is and could be and maybe partake of that and see what you could learn from mm -hmm. it. And I don't believe that they're in competition. Um, personally, as a politician, it's my responsibility to visit the many events throughout my community. And I have days where I'll start first thing in the morning and hit four or five events in the same day. And what I find as I'm out there is that each festival has something to offer every different audience. Some of these are small festivals that are culturally oriented. Some of them are historically oriented. But it seems that there's an audience for every festival in the Coachella Valley. And if you all remember, the city of Indio approved two additional festivals for Golden Voice. So I suspect we will have many more festivals <laughs> yeah. in the Coachella Valley. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did a story in, in January uh, related to the Palm Springs International Film Festival on the different types of, of film festivals. And I think it relates to art and, and and music festivals as well. Uh, we're talking about uh, there are festivals that are categorized as community festivals, there are in industry festivals, and when we're talking about film festivals, the difference between an in industry film festival is Sundance, and uh, Palm Springs is considered a community festival, which grew into a destination festival. So there are also, so 
Coachella is a destination festival. There are also touring festivals. Lollapalooza was a touring festival. Lilith Fair was a touring festival. And then there's these niche festivals. Uh, uh, in, my, in my interview with Paul Tillett just a week ago, he said that if anybody wanted to start a festival, they should start with a niche festival, find a specialty. Um, my question is, what, what, type of, what type of festivals matter most to ordinary people? I know that there's, there's certain types of festivals that matter most to the economy of a, of a city, but um, Lupe, you, you have so many, film, so many festivals in, in India. Is there uh, a type of festival that, I mean, in terms of a community festival or, a, or an industry festival that you think really uh, appeals mostly and is most important to just the regular, regular person? Actually, I do, I do believe so. Um, the city of India hosts the Riverside County Fair and National Date Festival. That is in its 69th year here in the Coachella Valley. And that festival was created out of a celebration by the community to celebrate the end of our harvest, similar to a harvest festival. We all came together and celebrated the end of the crop of the dates here in the Coachella Valley. And from that original festival 69 years ago, we've grown and evolved to what we are today, which brings in over 300,000 attendees a year. It is still the largest festival in the city of Indio, but it was birthed from a community event, something that we wanted to celebrate because we were celebrating life, we were celebrating our hard work, and we were coming together as a community. So I feel that those are the festivals that, that have the most success, the ones that actually come from the people. And then of course, the outsiders, the tourists, they want to be part of it too, so they visit us and we embrace them. That's what our Coachella Valley is all about. A lot of the community festivals are, are really cultural experiences that give you an idea of the heritage of, of a town, and, and uh, your Tamale Festival certainly does that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It's a Yummy. great festival. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Steve, um, do you see any changes in trends? I mean, I mentioned how Lilith Fair <clears throat> died, and uh, uh, Lollapalooza changed from a touring festival to a destination festival. What, what kind of trends do you see in the festival business? Well, there was, a, uh, there was a moment in the late 90s, early 2000s when there was a huge wave of festivals. There was Lilith and there was Horde and Warped and all these things got started and, and a lot of them focused on a particular genre. Uh, but not all of them survived because there was just so much of it. And uh, even Ozfest, which was successful, ended up having to stop because they were so successful that the band started asking for too much money. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had to stop. Um, so, but it seems like uh, right now, um, <clears throat> people are hungry for it again. I think there was, a, there was a moment where they got, there was a little bit weary of all the festivals. And even Lollapalooza, which was hugely successful, they tried to go two days and they had to cancel before it even started. Yeah. And, and then they switched things up and became a destination in Chicago. Yeah, even, um, there, there, there weren't really destination festivals in, in, the, in the 90s. I think uh, that just kind of developed in this millennium, frankly. Um, and when Coachella started, it was, it was a niche festival, but what was unique about it, I think, was that it had so many different niche, niches. Um, can you talk a little bit about the value of Coachella and, and what, it has, what it has brought to the music industry and perhaps beyond that? Well, I think a lot of the success of Coachella has to do with the organization behind it. Golden Voice Productions started as a very small, basically a labor of love for the early punk rock scene in Los Angeles. 
And from there, they kind of grew into all kinds of genres, whether it was uh, hip hop or, or ska or any number of things. And so they were, they're very astute about what's happening in music. And they're, they're exceptionally good at not only ch picking the big bands, which is not as, as difficult, but lower down on the bill. Bands that are gonna be big later on. Like a mm -hmm. lot of bands that started early on lower on the bill are now headlining. Right. And there's only one explanation for that is that they're that they have something that appeals to real music connoisseurs, which is what con uh, Coachella has always appealed to. Right, and then certainly they've nurtured a lot of bands, but I, I also find it interesting that uh, there really wasn't a, a circuit of major festivals like there is in Europe. There has been in Europe for quite a long time, and the, so many of the festivals in the United States were struggling to survive, and Coachella struggled to survive for several years also, uh, but I think it kind of spawned a, a festival circuit, don't you? Well, they modeled it after European festivals, which, which have a long uh, history of huge success. And, and uh, they, Coachella was very distinctive in the beginning because it focused on a very uh, specific corner of, of music listeners, not, not style so much because it was all kinds of stuff, hip hop and alternative and all that, but it was forward looking. It wasn't sort of the obvious what's on the top 10, top 40. They chose things that they knew there was an audience for, even if other promoters didn't know that. And um, uh, what they, you know, what, what they, you know, what they have built on is that, and, and from there they sort of added some more mainstream things like Paul McCartney and right, yeah, right. Uh, Lupe, I want to get get to the value of Coachella and festivals to. The, the economy of cities, but I also want to involve art in this conversation because, um, and Irene, because uh, one of the, the new trends of the last few years is the importance of art to the Coachella Valley Music and Art Festival. Uh, as, as, as I just quoted Toledo saying, um, art is getting closer to equaling the importance of, of music at Coachella because there are so many festivals out there that are now competing for the same acts it's hard to be really uh, distinctive in having a, a, a musical program. And Coachella remains distinctive by bringing in these arts that become iconic images to Coachella. And uh, I was wondering, how does that affect the rest of the art world? I mean, the fact that it's, it's getting that kind of exposure, and um, does, it, does it spawn any type of um, duplication? I don't know if it's duplication, but it's awareness about it, what's the art scene happening, what's contemporary for it. So I think that people are more familiar with it and get comfortable, because sometimes contemporary art could be very difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. and, and just to give you an example, the whole astronaut piece that was there last year, I know it's one of the museums in Utah. So that's getting a whole exposure there. It's somewhere in Utah, I can remember where one of my I thought it was Minnesota? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, maybe my friend from Utah knew about it. So <laughs> I know it was maybe, a Utah reference. Maybe it's, maybe it's going to more than one place. So, yes, yeah. I think that's, you know, even bringing that whole Coachella experience further, you know, this whole art scene and what does that mean, I think. It, it gives you things about accessibility and thinking about what's the impact that, that's happening, whether it's immediate and how it's this ripple effects going on. I, I find it interesting that a lot of the art that they find at, um, at Coachella is either uh, inspired by what they see at Burning Man because cause they mm. go to Burning Man every year 
and Burning Man is sort of the alternative to the museum scene and to the gallery scene, isn't it? I mean, is, is that, it, it, can we see a blossoming of an alternative art scene right now? I don't know, it can be. I've never been to Burning Man, but mm -hmm. I know that there's a whole reference to it, and it's, and it's something, again, appealing to different audiences yeah. and what it is. And, and, and really, I think you're talking about expression, expression of what that person wants to make in the art scene. Yes. So. Steve, have you been to Burning Man by any chance? I haven't made it to Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. It's not something I really have wanted to go to. I mean, I, I have a lot of friends who go there who said that uh, you, you've been to a generator party out in the middle of the desert, you don't need to go to Burning Man. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that um, there's sort of a hierarchy in the, in the art world. Yes, there is. And, and, and if you're um, a festival artist, you're not necessarily a gallery artist. If you're a gallery artist, you're not necessarily a museum artist. And so here we are, this suddenly the festival, the, the, the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival is assuming greater stature. Is that affecting the hierarchy at all? That's a good question, and I think it will, mm -hmm. and it is. Yeah, as soon as you get these individuals well known, as you said, into another um, institution, so that's gonna, you know, now I think pretty soon you're gonna see the curators going into these festivals to see who are the up and coming and emerging artists in the art scene as well. So I mean, I, I think uh, a lot of the the, the non-musical stuff they have there is sort of uh, well known in in a, a particular alternative art crowd, like with Robert Williams, Juxtapose magazine kind of crowd. Like they, the, the festival, they commissioned some posters, not the main poster, but that you can find uh, in the boutique on site that is, draw, is, you know, they're drawings by some of these sort of alternative or underground artists. Underground, and I knew that some even the Coachella artists have been involved with it, and it's been a great experience that perhaps they won't have the opportunity seeing the galleries here, but that also gives them the impetus to continue to grow as an artist. Yeah, the, the fact that some of these pieces are going directly from mm -hmm. Coachella to museums is really it's unusual. Mm -hmm. that's, I don't think that's happened before. No. I remember when I was first starting out in this business that um, uh, there was there were all these gypsy artists who were going to all these festivals, and, and they kind of co coalesced at the La Quinta Arts uh, Festival, actually. I'll never forget this one guy who was just a publicity hound, and it, it was kind of like an epiphany to me that I realized what he, he, was, he was hounding me to get his picture in the paper or his name in the paper because just the recognition would get him sales at an arts festival. Mm -hmm. Yet Ed Ruscha wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it was like, it's obviously the, the buyers are more discriminating at the higher levels that you get. Uh, the art festival buyers are not as discriminating as the gallery uh, artists and, and, and on up. So what is the, when we talk about the value of festivals, what is the value of a, of a fine art festival? The value of fine the value art. of a fine art festival in terms of nurturing artists, in, ter in terms of, of, of being a, a cultural asset to to a community. I think the value of it it brings um, collectors, potential collectors, brings even um, gallery owners to come and look at what is the emerging artist and, and those types of fine art festivals mm -hmm. on it. Um, 
But I think you need to sort of think about are they really, and what is it for the artist? Do they really want to sell it to a gallery owner, be part of a collection, and what is the purpose in their um, expression, yeah. I would say. And I think, too, we have a lot of local art that's mm -hmm. to the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival. Certainly Lisa can speak to her husband's art being exhibited there. And uh, that's, that was a proud moment when those of us who, who are familiar with her husband's work saw local art displayed at the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival, uh, you know, a venue that receives national and international recognition. Uh, that was really big for the local artists to see that opportunity made available to someone like Philip. Just that name, just that term local is, is almost, yeah, almost deprecating to, to an artist, you know? <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about the, the, the business value of, of, a, of a festival. And Lupe, this is tailor-made for you. <laughs> I mean, certainly you have, um, you, the last few years especially, you've really worked closely with, with Golden Voice to, to help it blossom into what it is. Uh, but the first few years, you were only giving them one or two year permits, and right. and uh, so so so, did you suddenly realize that Co Coachella was a big deal? <laughs> did it take you did it take you a few years to figure that out, or, or what happened? Yeah, we fi we figured about you know, ten years into this that they were here to stay, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know we started to work with the community, and we recognized that if this was going to be a long term. A relationship between us and Golden Voice and the polo fields that we really had to take a look at the impact on community, not only the economic impact, but some of the other impacts to our residences and businesses. And we did commission an economic study and discovered that uh, the festivals alone during their weekends bring in a $90 million impact to our city. That's a big impact. Mm -hmm. We have over $20 million in, in sales activity as far as actual sales taxable um, uh, gross sales, but when we took a look at what it does for the Coachella Valley and for the economic global impact, we really saw those numbers really multiply um, exponentially. For Coachella Valley alone, it's a $250 million economic impact over the festivals. Uh, for the world market, it's a half a billion dollar impact to the world market. So when you start taking a look at those numbers, um, you really start to set the path for a longer-term relationship because there's some great partnerships where we can work together and not only help the festival grow, but also help the local communities. Golden Voice is really good about giving back to our local communities, specifically the youth organizations. They want to make sure that the youth here in the local area have opportunities to expand their arts and their uh, musical um, talents. So um, they're very committed to that, and that's something that we work with them. Uh, before we were able to secure a long-term contract with them, we had to multiply those figures to see what the impact economically would be over the progression of the contract arrangement. And we were forecasted that, you know, that would double over the next 15 years, just based on the natural growth of the festivals, not factoring in the additional festivals um, that we hope that they someday bring to um, the Coachella Valley. So it was a, an interesting process that we went through, but it was a process that we had to go through in order to quantify and to show the community that we are growing responsibly, that we're not going to impact the community negatively, that there still will be peaceful enjoyment for those that live in and around the area and everyone here in the Coachella Valley. So it was a, an interesting process to go through. At the end of the day, we were all satisfied with what we learned 
in that process, and we feel confident about the future with the festivals in the city of India. Besides just the noise level, which I know is still a touchy subject, yeah. uh, you know, in the early days there was uh, so much reporting about you know, people being afraid of the drug usage that was going on there. And, and was, I mean, were you kind of concerned about the so-called alt-nation or alternative uh, crowds that, that, that Coachella was attracting? Well, I think in the beginning, because we were unfamiliar with the crowds and the festival attendees, um, there was uh, an air of uh, the unknown, something that we weren't sure how we were going to manage. But the more we became involved, specifically at the political level, we felt it incumbent upon us to be responsible in something that we were going to have a hand in and participate with the festival um, promoters to really understand the mechanics, the front of the house, the back of the house, how does security work, how do we as a city and our public safety community come together to make sure that everyone has a safe, enjoyable experience. So, um, you know, the crowds we've learned are just nice kids. Nice kids that are going to college, are going to school, and they save all year, and this is where they decide they want to spend their money. Um, so they work well with us. They're, they're here to have a nice time, just like any other tourist would come for a weekend stay. Um, so they work with us, and they're very happy and grateful that we welcome them into our community, and we've found that it's just an extra 100,000 people in our city over the weekend. <laughs> you know, I, I think that the... Um media mindset has something to do with transferring the perception of what's going on out there. Um, when, when, when Coachella arrived in 1999, I, I, I came out there and I covered it. I covered it from a music point of view, but our primary coverage was by the news reporters. And I think that you, you see that a lot in terms of um, a lot of pop culture. When it's covered by news reporters, they tend to focus on the drugs, they tend to focus on the, the freakiness of the... Of the, of the what, what is the role of the alternative press in, in bringing that to the mainstream, Steve? You can address this. With, he was, well, he's I, went for Rolling Stone for so long, so forth. I think it's worth remembering that when Coachella started, it was right after the disaster of... Uh, Woodstock. Woodstock was it, what year it was 99 no. yeah so and you know there were fires and all kinds of physical yeah, assaults. Co Coachella was in October of 99 and Woodstock was in the spring right yeah. and it was it was a complete disaster right. and it was all over the national news so um, some people think that that affected the attendance at Coachella which which hurt them financially but you know again the people that that put on Coachella they really know their audience and they know who's going to come. And they've made adjustments along the way. Uh, for a little while there, they, they kind of stayed away from more heavier bands. Um, but I've never seen a fight at Coachella. And, and I've seen fights at baseball games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there have been, but I just haven't seen it. It's, it's not so common that, oh yeah, obviously you've, you've, you've seen a fight or something. So the audience, um, you know, like, like, like the mayor says, it, you know, is there for for musical enjoyment and, uh, and, and the experience of being there, which I think a lot of people came over time through word of mouth of, wow, this is really a great experience, and oh yeah, there's some great music. Yeah, we were talking a little bit uh, backstage, I guess you'd say, about the, the first year, 1999, uh, Coachella lost a lot of money, uh, Paul Tillette lost his house, and, uh, the, but we were talking about how the, there's members of the media who realized this is a fabulous event. And, of course, 
the Golden Voice people knew that too, but it, I, don't you think it was really the reinforcement of, of the media and especially the alternative media that sustained them and maybe in, motivated them to keep going? Well, there was, look, I mean, the, the lineup and the, the way the music unfolded and the experience, the humane treatment of the audience, unlike Woodstock, which was charging $10 for a bottle of water, or something like that. Um, they treated the fans well, and the music was was really well curated. And and that, you know, if you're a serious music fan, you know, you go to a festival and maybe there's, you know, certain things on the bill that you love, and then there's a lot of things that you avoid. But with Coachella, if you if you are a connoisseur of of new music, you know that you're going to discover things that you've never heard of before that are great. And there's going to be some things at the top of the bill that you already know you want to see. Mm -hmm. and, and that came out in Rolling Stone and the LA Times and Spin and all the, all the things that covered it praised the, Co uh, you know, the Coachella Festival. Uh, it, was, it was the people who knew the culture who, real, who were saying, hey, this is not just an ordinary thrown together, you know, in the, in the Tom Petty documentary that I just watched a while back, Tom Petty talked about how they threw together a festival with 1,500 people, and then they realized, hey, we're supposed to get permits for this, you know? <laughs> this, things have changed, but it, took, it really took some people who, who said these are not just the, the headbangers that they had at the Woodstock Festival. These are people who were intelligent musicians, and the, the crowd that came to see them were well-read. I mean, that was what the amazing thing was. The Internet wasn't that strong back then, but still, people would would read about them in magazines and and, they, and, and alternative newspapers, and uh, they didn't get their they didn't get their information from the radio. You know that was that was one of the things that was different about Coachella. So, kind of where I'm going with this is the fact that it was it, there was a, a purity to to the way that Coachella started. I mean, um, Tillet had an eye for 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 great music, and he had help. And, and they developed it from the music. It wasn't developed just for the economic gain of the community. There's a, since that time, there's been a lot of festivals that have started up that were just trying to do something good for the community. They were trying to do something, make some money for themselves. Um, and I, and it, in my experience, that doesn't really work as well as when you have a curator who's in charge of, a, of developing a festival. And I, what, what do you think about that, Lisa? Well, we spend an awful lot of time curating, and I, you know, I think even when I think about Golden Voice and and Paul and his team, you know, quality is the number one thing that they're interested in, and that's something that that they've imparted on me, you know, and and certainly in in the planning of Modernism Week and the other things that I've been involved with, we try to keep a, a really high standard of quality so that. You have a brand that people can count on year after year, and you know, to Steve's point about um, about the you know the integrity really of the choices that Golden Voice has made over the years. I, I'm I'm a good example of now I guess a, a near middle-aged rocker you know that still goes to Coachella every year, and my friends my age and many of you out there spend all year speculating about the lineup and about those choices that they're going to make. And, you know, there's nothing like a live experience. So, 
even the friends that we've taken to Coachella over the years or to Modernism Week or the Tamale Festival, <laughs> if God forbid they've never had a tamale in their life, you know, um, it, it exposes you to something new. It gives you something, um, something new to discover. And I think that's part of the beauty of the, the choices that, that they've made in, in curating the festival. Going beyond Coachella, uh, in, going to Palm Springs, mm -hmm. the, uh, PS Resorts was, was founded basically to create events that would drive tourism, that would fill the hotels. And they hired somebody for, what was it, $150,000, a consultant to find what kind of an event would fill hotel rooms in Palm Springs. And these people spent six months studying Palm Springs, and, and uh, they came up with an idea, <laughs> and Harold Masters says, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and, that and that's my point. You know, if you're just coming, it, I think it has to happen organically, don't you? I mean, if you're, if you're really trying to do something just to make money, there's something about that that just doesn't resonate with, with, the, with the audience. And I think it, you have to understand a little bit of the anthropology of the community where you're developing a festival. Is anybody, can anybody address what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do, because you reminded me of the city of Coachella actually does that. Um, they have an AQ festival that starts yeah. with the students. Right. So that, and then they also have Synergy, which is organized by the uh, art organization, um, Culturas, Music, and Arts. There, again, for the community and by the community, that's really based and really encourages the youth to do all the planning. So it really comes from the heart and for them to involve the whole community and come for a whole day mm -hmm. on that. So yeah, it's yeah. exactly that. And they've been there like for three years, four years now. Yeah. So, so I guess the key is trying to find the right marriage of art and commerce. Uh, when, when Sonny Bono came up with the idea for the Palm Springs International Film Festival, his whole idea was to, to fill hotel rooms. And uh, he, was, he was the, a lot of people don't realize this, but he was the chairman of the rest, Restaurant and Hospitality Committee of the Palm Springs Chamber of Commerce. So he was really doing his job trying to figure out a way to get people to come and fill the hotel rooms. He also, a lot of people don't realize it, he also loved, uh, he loved Japanese films. <laughs> it was very strange, but he did. And, uh, and not, not that Japanese films aren't worth watching, but you wouldn't expect Sonny Bono to be a big Japanese Akira Kurosawa fan, you know. But, um, uh, uh, I think, I think what, what he was smart enough to do was that he relied on, uh, he relied on people who, who, who were true artists, and he brought in Daryl McDonald the first year to be the curator. And the, he, he made sure that there was, um, there was only the finest films that were being presented there. And then a few years later, they brought in Harold Mastner, who made sure that there was uh, a great gala that was going to make a lot of money. And, um, you know, so, so they're filling hotel rooms now in a great way. That festival attracts 135,000 people a year. And um, it still has this reputation where the critics come and, and, and they rave about the films. Um, is, there, is there any other... Um, festival or any experience that you guys have that can, that can kind of reinforce that idea that where you see the, the value of a curator working with a, a, a businessman to, to really achieve some sort of a success? 
I know that's everyone's dream come true if it were that easy to just come up with a model of how to build success around your tourism industry and then to implement the plan and be successful. Um, certainly, um, the city of India would love to hire someone to do that. Um, but, but what we've seen is that we're, what we're most successful with are the organic festivals, those that come from the community, and then we just capitalize on whatever it is that can service that festival. Um, you know, the, the Tamale Festival came out of a dream of one of the council members um, decided that he wanted to get in the Guinness Book of World Records and build the largest tamale. Mm. Well, we did, and we are in the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> and now that festival brings in a couple hundred thousand people over a weekend in December. So, um, you know, we can sit here and spend money on curators, we can spend money on business plans and, and models that are successful everywhere else, but if the community doesn't buy into it, the community isn't vested in it, then your chances of success are um, very slim. Um, I don't think that anyone thought when Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival first came into the valley that someday it would fill every hotel from Banning to Blythe. But that's been the case for the last 10, 10 years. You know, it's those models that you really can't recreate. They're all organic. They come from the people, they come from what the desire of the audience is, and you just have to identify it and build on that. And it's kind of ironic, the, um, the, the city of Palm Springs had the hotel rooms and they needed events to fill the hotel rooms. You've got the events and you don't have the hotel rooms. <laughs> you can bring your RV and your tent, we'll take you. <laughs> so, so when did you realize that, and have, since the success of, of Coachella, have more hoteliers been coming to, to India and been try, trying to build hotels? Well, we've had our first hotel in 25 years built this last year. So we're starting to get some recognition but still we're seeing a, a more economical um, place to visit. So um, the audience is looking for more of the budget stays. I don't think we'll ever be in a, in a position, at least not in the near future, to compete with the hotels that Palm Springs has. But there certainly is a, a niche that's not being met. And what the culture that the Coachella Valley Music and Arts Festival and Stagecoach has kind of created is that you have those RVers that want to drive across the nation and come to the festival and park their RV for a week or so. You know, at the uh, Riverside County Fair National Day Festival, we have the largest um, national RV um, retreat or whatever when they get together for the year. And that brings in 1,500 RVs for a week long. And it's basically a city within a city because they come in, they set up their camp, they invite me over for their little parade, we have picnics. Um, but there, are, there is that audience out there that they're looking for a place to go, travel to, stay, you know, put down their tents, and, and then move on. So there's, there's markets for everything. It doesn't have to be hotels. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in, in Palm Springs, I think, I think your Modernism Week is, is a perfect example of an organic uh, idea. I mean, mm -hmm. Palm Springs was, the people who started Modernism Week certainly were interested in commerce. They were certainly interested in filling hotel rooms. And they discovered, we've got this natural attraction. We have all these homes here. What, what, what took us so long in figuring out that this was a resource? <laughs> I mean, can you talk about how that idea developed and, and what was the real motivation for starting Modernism Week? Sure. So Modernism Week just celebrated its 10th year, which you know has flown by quickly. But we started as a, a three-day weekend event, and it... it culminates over um, President's Day weekend. So it was an, a natural fit because it was a great weekend to come to the Valley. A lot of people already did, you know, having second homes here. But I think with the, the resurgence of 
um, architectural preservation and renovation in our community and, and you know, the cities throughout the Coachella Valley being committed to preserving their architectural resources, it attracted not only the locals that were interested in you know, our history and the architects that designed these properties, but also people from all over the country that either have a nostalgia for the mid-century period, you know, roughly from the 40s to the 60s. And I think you know, now with the popularity of things like Mad Men and you know, this entire design industry that's really been focused on modern design for the last few years, it's exceeded, you know, it, it, it's beyond being a trend. It, it really is a lifestyle and it's, it's something that people um, embrace and embody. And so whether you live in you know, Wisconsin or Palm Springs, um, there is, is an audience for mid-century modern design. And, you know, I, I think listening to Lupe also talk about this convergence of, of people that have similar interests and like-minded hobbies and lifestyles at home, you know, that's really been part of our secret is that, you know, the festival has kind of become the new convention. Mm -hmm. We all had you know, industry travel and industry conventions and conferences that we attended. And um, certainly those are educational and networking opportunities. But now a festival, whether it's a literary festival or an architectural festival, it brings, it brings the best thinkers and, and the, the most, you know, voracious collectors in these fields together. And, and people travel from all over the world to come to Modernism Week. So, you know, I, I think that, that growth and trend is um, not just specific to, to architecture, but to anything that's an affinity in a community. Can, can you see a marriage of, of some festivals? I, I wish Jamie Cabler hadn't just walked out because, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I love his, his Ranch Mirage Riders Festival, but the fact that they have it almost most of it in, in the library. I would love to see it in some, some of the modern houses that you're uh, yeah. sending, sending people to see. Can, can, there, can there be that kind of a marriage? Can festivals yeah. join forces? You know, I think that's happening. I mean, it, 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 it takes several years to build momentum and to, to build an audience for something, but you know, the, the best example that I can give is that Modernism Week is experiencing a time where people are interested in fashion and culinary experiences and, and the merging of that with, with modernist design and with architecture. So, um, you know, a good example is also at Coachella, the outstanding in the field dinners, mm -hmm, you know, right. which are these very elaborate um, farm to table kind of um, dining events. And, and we collaboratively worked with Golden Voice this year to do something like that at Modernism Week. So we brought in a chef from Los Angeles and his amazing crew and had um, you know, this incredible six-course dinner that really uh, was an experience in food, but it was at the Frank Sinatra estate in Palm Springs. So you got to experience this iconic 
unique, one-of-a-kind kind of architectural experience while, you know, dining on some of the, the best food, you know, that, that we'd had during and, the And Coachella did have a, a display about um, mid-century modern last year, actually. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I, I was just at, at Tillett's, Paul Tillett's house, and I got to say, he's got a lot of books on, on architecture on his yeah. shelves. He's a big, <laughs> he's a big fan. He's yeah. been very supportive. Yeah, right. Um, just talk a little bit about the difference between a festival and a party. I mean, white party is, is a party, but they say they're trying to become more like a festival in, in terms of curating some of the, the performers who come there. Um, what, what is the difference? May, any, Steve, maybe I, you could jump in. Are you, yeah, Irene, yeah. Yeah, what is the difference? Um, I think you're trying to provide an authentic experience. You try to provide a specific niche and bring different people to sort of um, collaborate or share an experience perspective on that. And, and not to, uh, and it's about community engagement, just like Lupe was saying earlier. It's about community engagement, and that's a whole festival that includes everybody. It's about what type of impact are you really making. And it's not just, you know, it, it's, it's partaking your whole senses even your, um, to make this a fabulous experience that you want to come and enjoy again. Mm -hmm. And that's the way you make your brand. It is a brand. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, mm -hmm. um, I mentioned the, the Lexus Jazz Festival that's coming up uh, at, at Indian Wells Tennis Garden the week after Stagecoach. They have two bands playing. And this is a festival. <laughs> I, I, was, I was just saying in the newsroom today, you know, that's not even a bill at the, uh, the Hood Pizza and, uh, you know, the hood bar and pizza or whatever it's called. Uh, but so, you have so, to start somewhere. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, does the word festival really translate into dollars more than a party or more than a regular concert? Is, is well, I, I'll just jump in and say it's actually really hard to make money on parties. Uh -huh. And um, anybody that knows me knows I'm a party girl. I've been a party planner for a long time. And, you know, parties and events, special events, are so much about sponsorship now and, you know, raising money, particularly in our case, we're a nonprofit. So, you know, it's always about um, attracting sponsors to supporting your event. But in the end, you know, the thing that we see in our surveys over and over again is that people want more parties. And they don't care if it's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon mm -hmm. or at 10 o'clock at night. You know, there's a wide range of, of activity to, to commence. So I think, you know, a festival, like a panel, you need more than one person talking to call it a panel. Mm -hmm. So you need more than one activity going on, you know, to call it a festival. But there ought to be this element of, of diversity and engagement. And so if, if you know, if you're a one-note event and all you're offering is, is this product, it's hard to call it a festival. And, and if you're engaged in art and music and culinary experience and educational lectures and programs and tours, all of those things are really what I think every festival in the desert's aspiring to, to provide to its audience. You know, every festival is always clamoring for sponsors. Uh, Except Coachella, <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> it's because of where they come from. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there are a lot of, not just festivals, but big concert tours, the Rolling Stones or the Who, yeah. you know, brought to you by Coca-Cola or right. whatever. You're never going to see that, at least so far, on Coachella, even though there are things around or there's a million parties in town. 
that are sponsored by this or that. It's a choice. I mean, they're obviously saying no to a lot of money by making that choice. So it obviously means something to them, or, or it's, it's, it has its own value that isn't worth selling out. They are gain, gain, putting more sponsorships in. We're seeing the fashion line, H&M, that they brought in this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, th this is the first time that they, uh, uh, that they have live streamed both weekends, I believe. Um, I'm not sure about that. But, That's uh, correct. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so they are bringing more sponsors. Is there a danger in, in I mean, some people see sponsorships as the future of, of the music industry, but is there a danger in becoming too commercial, having too many sponsors? Well, I've been at big concerts by big bands where suddenly they, they, they show a car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, to me, you're, you're really veered off track when you're doing that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Coachella and the, and the organic uh, popularity of it and why it works has something to do with making the choices that they make. It's not accidental. And um, if they started you know, selling everything, putting up signs for 100 companies all around the festival grounds, it would just change the atmosphere. So that, that would have an impact, and it wouldn't be a positive one. Let me ask you one last question before we open it up to the audience. Uh, and this might be difficult, you know, is choosing just one experience, but can you guys all talk about what your favorite festival experience was? Anywhere in the country? Anywhere in the country. Steve, I bet you've got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I mean I, I'll, I'll just stick with Coachella. Um, you know, it was a musical experience, and it, it had to do with uh, just a, a lot of things just kind of coming together. And, you know, it's just another example of things that they do right. They, they really figure out how to do good sound. Uh, they have rat sound, which started off doing black flag shows, um, you know, in the van. Yeah. So, and they've, they've evolved to a point where they are probably one of the best at, at delivering really crisp, good sound at, at, at a difficult location in the middle of the desert, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, bouncing so, off those mountains. What's that? <laughs> bouncing off of those mountains behind them. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's just, one, it's just an early experience, one of the earlier, I forget what year exactly it was, but it was Radiohead was the headliner, mm -hmm. and it was a reunion of the Pixies right before then. 2004. And, okay. <laughs> so, one right after the other, and it was just so powerful, yeah. and, you know, and seeing those, seeing the Pixies deliver music that you hadn't heard live in a long time in that, in that setting with, with that quality of uh, presentation and then followed by Radiohead, you know, at their peak. It was just a great... That was amazing, yeah. 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 And, then there was, and then, of course, the same year there was the, the, the uh, Flaming Lips with the introduction of uh, Wayne Coyne going over the heads of, crowd, of the crowd in the, in the, in the transparent bubble. ball. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Good times. <laughs> yeah. right. Anybody else? You have a favorite well, one, um, I'm going to give a little credit here to Stagecoach. So yeah. um, it too has evolved to something greater than we would have ever expected. Who would have thought? Southern California Country Music Festival. But you'll be surprised at how many people love country. They'll drive across the nation to have that experience. I think it was the first Coachella that, uh, on the first Stagecoach that uh, Willie Nelson came and. Um, I believe that was the first year I was mayor, 
And uh, I said, you know, I'd really love to go and just get up and close and listen to Willie Nelson. And so they heard me and they said, well, we'll drive you over there. And they drove me over in a golf cart, put me up on stage on a stool next to Willie Nelson <laughs> as he sung to all the girls I love. <laughs> so that type of an experience, and I need to share why that was so magnanimous for me being born and raised in the city of Indio, never left this community, not even to college. All I know is Coachella Valley, my backyard, and all of a sudden I'm sitting next to Willie Nelson, <laughs> and he's singing, and the country music TV um, cameras are on me, and I know this is being just you know on national TV. I'm like, wow, <laughs> amazing. So I thought I'd share that with you. <laughs> okay, you're up, Irene. <laughs> Thank you. Festival goer, but I'm born and raised here. And something that I love to do is always go to the fair. That's something that I do, and we do with the, as a family as well. So getting the rides, going to see the exhibits, and of course eating all the food that I can. <laughs> all right. Well, I would say in contrast to Irene, I actually spend a lot of time traveling to festivals because it's important that I see you know what's going on out there. But it, it's been a pastime and a hobby of mine for a long time. And so, you know, I've been to art fairs around the world. I've been to um, music festivals. Coachella is certainly um, my favorite. I love New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival as well. And I've had incredible food and seen incredible music there. And so I feel really lucky that, that I've had the chance to do that. But, you know, I think um, not just because it's Modernism Week, but even before I was involved on staff there, I was... a participant and, and a volunteer. And the, the thing to me that, you know, transcends any sort of sensational experience is really watching somebody have a moment, you know, and it's great when you have that and it transforms your life, but it's even better to watch somebody else have it. And so I had a very unique experience with an architect who's no longer living. His name's E. Stewart Williams. He was the designer of the Palm Springs Art Museum and, and Frank Sinatra's house and, and many other properties in Palm Springs. But I had a, ch a chance to, to meet him and spend some time with him um, at Modernism Week. This is now close to 10 years ago. And he was so overwhelmed by the attention and, and almost celebrity status that he was receiving at, you know, 90 years old. And um, to, to be with him and to watch the students interact with him and realize that they were meeting an icon and that, that he was just a regular guy. And he took so much time with them and, and really spent, spent the evening, you know, talking with us and, and um, downplaying his own, his own experience. And, I think for me that that was one of the most special, certainly modernism week and festival experiences that I would have had because I wouldn't have been sitting in front of him if it hadn't have been for the fact that I bought a ticket to see him on a panel, you know, and we had this wonderful Q&A opportunity afterwards. So, you know, for all of you that, that live in the desert or that are visiting, I would encourage you to, you know, to seek out these new experiences and, and bring people with you that haven't had the opportunity to do it before because there's everything from, you know, amazing lobsters and tamales to um, incredible um, Day of the Dead festivals at Palm Springs Art Museum. And, you know, we're doing it for you, really. I just got to put in my two cents. Uh, there's, 
at a great festival, there's, there's a certain spirit that you feel. There's, uh, there's a camaraderie, uh, but you appreciate the, the, the work that has gone into the curating of a great festival, and you, you, enjoy, you enjoy the people. And there's, there's a spirit of love that you find at a, at a, at a great festival. And I used, to, I used to have to go out of town to find that before some of the great festivals came here. I used to go to the Monterey Jazz Festival all the time. I just loved the Monterey Jazz Festival. And <laughs> when it finally came time for me to uh, pro proposition my wife for marriage, I took her to the Monterey Jazz Festival. Because <laughs> that was, you know, I, I needed that spirit. I needed that sense of love all around me to just get, give me the courage to do it. And we still have the poster from that, from that jazz festival in our living room. So. Uh, that's one of my great experiences, but uh, it's, it's the best. It is. It is. Okay, so we want to turn this over to, uh, to some questions here. I'm just wondering about the idea of an Austin-type music uh, convention. Is that a possibility? You mean South by Southwest? Yeah. Harold Manster and Paul Tillette have been talking about doing something like that. Uh, uh, Harold has said that he wants to have a music component to his film festival. Uh, Aust uh, South by Southwest is a conference. It's a little different than a festival, but uh, there's certainly uh, an interest in that type of a component here because also uh, Harold has been wanting to put together uh, some sort of a film school. So yeah, I think that's, that's uh, in the foreseeable future. I don't know if they still have this, but back in the early 90s, I guess it was around the time of Thanksgiving, La Quinta had a jazz festival, and I got to see the Ray Brown Trio and Mose Allison, and that was pretty amazing. I was wondering if that still exists. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, uh, as, as we said in the introduction, my, my wife actually put together this jazz celebrity golf and jam session, and I was basically an advisor to that. And it was one of the most amazing things. We had it on, on, at Monterey Country Club, and, and one, one writer called it Monterey South, you know, and it had Ray Brown playing there every year, and, and Joe Williams sang the opening the first year, and, 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 you know, all these great musicians, and they all died, you know? That's the problem with great jazz. You know, we're left with, we're left with um, you know, a, a smooth jazz that's not quite as compelling. <laughs> not all, I'm not, I'm saying the headliners. There's so many headliners who die. There's still great jazz musicians out there. I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to demean them by any means, but, you know, those, Ray Brown is gone. Uh, yes, um, I'm a photographer and I travel and photograph festivals, the Monterey Jazz Festival and hardly strictly bluegrass in San Francisco. And we live part-time in Rancho Mirage. What I love about festivals is they get people out of their gated communities to intermix with different ethnic groups and it's really positive for festivals to mix the community and communicate. And I'd like to get your comments on that and also that what makes a good festival is one that has, is unique to that area, like the Tamale Festival. I really enjoy that it has the tamales. You can all use all your senses and hear lots of good Hispanic music. I love it. Um, but uh, some festivals, I know in Goleta, I went to the Lemon Festival, and they moved it so that there wasn't even the harvest at the time. And it was just all the things you see at festivals everywhere are very corporate and not a real local, you know, playing into that local feeling. So any comments about those? 
something just came to mind. You know, there's there's kind of the great equalizer at, at these festivals, and it's it's called the porta potty. <laughs> because it doesn't matter if you have a VIP ticket or you know if you just walked in from the street, everybody's using the porta potties. Except now, fortunately, out at Coachella, there yeah. are real toilets. <laughs> but you know, I think that um, what you just said at the end of your comment there is is something that. Um, I know we really struggle with here locally because our events are just right on top of each other. And, and you know, you want that authenticity of going to a harvest festival during the harvest, you know. But um, at least here in the desert, again, you know, we cram all this activity into a very short period of time, and so it, it's hard. And we're all competing for the audience and for, those, for the admission dollars and certainly um, the local businesses that sponsor these events. And so um, it, it really creates a, a great challenge for us here for the timing. December does seem to be tamale festival though. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's tamale season. Yeah, exactly. No one's touching that one. Coachella is how it sells out before anyone even knows who's gonna play. I mean, mm -hmm. just within a day, it sells out. And so for old people like me who can't be up for three whole days, would it be possible to have something go over into Monday and maybe not on all the stages, maybe just on one stage, and then so we could see the art, so we could see all those great things. Actually, that is something that we're currently exploring for the locals. We want to do a I Survived Coachella Day. Uh, a little sampler. <laughs> and it'll be a one-day event where all us locals come out and just... Unfortunately, Coachella and most festivals can't survive on local audiences. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the year before Coachella, there was another uh, country festival at the Empire Polo Club. It was called the Big Gig. Remember that? And uh, they, they had 8,000 people, and that was a, that was a sizable audience for the Coachella Valley, and it was a local audience. But they just lost their shirt, and you've you, you've got to you've got to bring out. Um, you know, if you're, for a quality festival like that, you have to bring out the people from throughout, not just, well, at least Southern California. I mean, uh, when Coachella started, they were just thinking that they were going to be a Southern California festival, and they lost money, and it wasn't until they started expanding beyond California that they started making money. I've heard so many great things of this Tamale Festival. When is it? But Tamale Festival kicks off the uh, holiday season, traditionally in Hispanic culture. We start making tamales, getting ready for... Um, the Nativity and for um, the Christmas holiday for those of us who celebrate that. Um, it's our way of celebrating with our families all the hard work and getting ready to enter that season. So it's a very cultural event. It's the first weekend of December. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's free. This is the amazing thing. Yeah, it's, it's free. free. Yeah. With the thought of tamales, that's going to conclude our program. Thank you all so much for being here. Yeah.